passage this evening is from Genesis chapter 1, and we'll start at verse 26, and we'll go through to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, and that can be found on page 1 of the Church Bibles. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, For the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellum and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Thank you to everyone who's led us. Important stuff tonight and the kind of stuff you can only really rightly talk about and preach about in the life of a church with redeemed people. So let me pray for the Spirit's help and for listening hearts and God's voice to be heard. Our Father, we um, in some ways tread onto sensitive ground, humanly speaking, but we tread onto good ground. And we do so as a church family, united in love for one another. Whoever we are here tonight, with all the issues and struggles and battles that we bring from our past and from our present, you know exactly who is here. You know exactly who is listening. And you are gracious and you are kind 
And you want to speak to every soul. And you want to speak to every soul about other souls here. You want to unite us, grow us, comfort us, strengthen us. And most of all, show us what it means to be in a restored, living, right, beautiful relationship with your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. Now, it'll be really helpful if you can have your Bibles open. And uh, also the uh, service sheet, there is uh, a lot of information on it. But hopefully that'll give you the chance to go away and reflect on what we'll say tonight and speak about it and talk it through and pray uh, for uh, one another. Um, I have... um, had the privilege of conducting many, many weddings uh, over the years. And on two occasions, I said two things on separate occasions that caused uh, a kind of queue of people to to come and speak to me afterwards. The first was uh, Davi and Emma de Paula's wedding, when I used as an example of how husbands should graciously love and value their wives A very practical example, the wedding was a December wedding. And I said, one good way to do that as as men, as husbands, is not to moan endlessly about Christmas. And uh, I had a queue of men and women afterwards thanking me uh, for that. And for many years in our marriage, I had been a humbug at Christmas. Why are we sending this to that person? Who are these people? I don't know them. Why am I signing these cards? Let's cancel Christmas. We don't need any presents. It's godless. All that kind of stuff. And I realized after a while that that was just discouraging. (laughs) It didn't take you long to realize that was discouraging. More seriously, the other comment that I made, and I would try and rewrite wedding services every year, I stood up at the beginning of the service and I said, today you are both leaving singleness, a life that is valued and esteemed and honoured by God, to enter a different life, marriage, one that is equally valued and equally esteemed and equally honoured by God. Now the comment there elicited a huge response because people's view was that when they go to a Christian wedding or any wedding, that in some ways Christian churches perpetuate the view that we are not properly fulfilled as Christians unless we are in a marriage relationship. And that is not what the Bible says. Now, that's just a kind of comment at the beginning to show where this passage will take us. And if we handle this material rightly, it will do us no end of good. Let me just cut forward to the chase at the end. In a service in church, when we dedicate or baptize a child, we will often pray for families in the church, couples in the church who are unable to have children. Childlessness is a consequence of living in the world we're in not meant to be for a married couple. It's right that we acknowledge and pray for that. But what's not right, and I I really think this is true, is that when we announce an engagement, or when we announce or pray for a marriage, it's not right at that point that we then pray for those who find that news really hard. Because in doing so, what we're doing is perpetuating the view that singleness is not a gift, is not a calling, is not a valued lifestyle. And we, we lapse into that kind of thought process so very uh, easily. And I wonder too, as a church over the years, because marriage is so much uh, under uh, attack in our culture, in our society, that in our desire to affirm and to defend and uphold marriage, We've forgotten how that is balanced in the Bible in redemption, in a church fellowship 
with people who are single, people who are married, and so on and so forth. And it's one of these areas that we really need to listen to what the Bible says and not what we assume it says. And in a church family, those who are single should celebrate and love those who are married. Those who are married should celebrate and love with those who are single. Those who are widowed should be celebrated and loved as people. Everyone should belong in a church family. There is nowhere on earth like a church family. It is the closest approximation to the new creation. And that's the material and stuff we're going to discover in Genesis tonight. Now, in order to do so, and our focus passage is 2, uh, 18 to 25, the bit that begins, you'll see it there in your Bibles, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man uh, should be alone. And the word man there is man as an Adam, not a generic for humanity. And then the passage goes on about the creation of the woman, uh, Eve. But let's spend a little bit of time, and the service sheet will help us do this, put this passage in its context. So important for this material in Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapters 1 and 2 in particular in the Bible are, are, are often spoken of and studied out of context. People write books on these chapters, but they are in Genesis and they start the Bible story. So you'll see on the left of the service sheet the purpose of Genesis. Why are we studying this book? To give us confidence that God will save us by telling the story of God's creation of humanity, the rebellion of humanity, then God's grace in saving a people through succeeding generations. So as we navigate through Genesis, we'll get to Abraham and that glorious promise that we are part of the fulfillment of. And then we'll get to the wonderful chapters at the end, 37 to 50, the story of Joseph, the, the first kind of type of Christ in the Bible. And we'll learn about how God will save us through Jesus. And the great thing about studying the narrative of Genesis is that we'll learn this in the grist to the mill of people's lives, stories of God's people. So the purpose of Genesis is to give God's people confidence that he will save them. So the purpose of this bit of Genesis tonight is to give every single one of us confidence in the saving purposes of God. Now, the structure of Genesis. Now, this is important, really important. For many, many years, the way I would have taught Genesis, I would have taught Genesis chapters 1 and 2 as the creation account. And then I would have taught chapter 3 as the fall, and then you carry on from there. But that's not how Genesis is written and structured. And, and the text here is, is a huge help to reorientate or re-navigate uh, our bearings. So just look at chapter 1, which is, we, uh, we called it a, a, like a prologue in Genesis. So chapter 1, verse 1, through to chapter 2, verse 3, is a prologue, and that's the bit of Genesis that is the creation account. Yeah, that is the account of God's creation. And then from chapter 2, verse 4, begins the, the history of humanity. Now, the first part of the history of humanity is a creation of humanity, and so on and so forth. But the, the whole picture, the whole picture together of God's creation, we should see as uh, concluding in Genesis chapter 2, verse uh, 3. It's narrative, it's story from then on. It's a different genre, a different literature, a different purpose. That's really important. We've got to go with the way the text is structured. And from chapter 2, verse 4, there are 10 sections that come to the end of the Bible uh, book. And it's an important principle that any Bible book, the, the chapter divisions that we have in our translations are just there for navigation. Uh, they're never perfect, and in Genesis they really aren't perfect. Um, how do we know that Genesis divides differently? Well, that phrase in chapter 2, verse 4, these are the generations 
these are the generations, is repeated ten times through the book. So chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 3 is the creation account, the creation hymn. After that is the history, the story of humanity. Now let's look at the creation account. So chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, 3. Uh, verses 1 to 25 focus on the rest of the creation. And then in chapter 1, verses 26, and Kirsten read from that, through to verse 31, the focus is on the creation of humanity. So let's go back to that and just read it again. Then God said, verse 26 of chapter 1, let us, so that you flick there. Then God said, chapter 1, verse 26, let us, plural, us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Godhead, the relational Godhead. God is relational in his being, in his nature, in his attributes. Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man, that word is humanity, it's generic, in our image and after our likeness. Now, being made in the image of God and after the likeness of God means many, many things. But at the heart of it, it means, and we know this because Genesis majors on this, it means to be made relational as beings. How do we know that? Because Genesis makes it clear, let us create humanity in our image. In our image means many things, but Genesis focuses on the relational aspect of humanity. Let us make humanity in our image after our likeness and let them, plural, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, that's generic, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So to be created in the image of God is to be created for relationship with God. Yep, that's the primary relationship and to be created for relationship with other humans. Now don't jump too fast to God created them, male and female. The world is full of men and full of women and God created a world full of human beings. And we had to have relationships right across the board with our fellow humanity. But we're not all the same. There are men and there are women. Now these are, uh, one writer when I was uh, studying this week, um, uh, who uh, is lovely when a, a writer from somewhere else in the world uses some architecture in your own city as the best example of it, and he used the Queen's Ferry Crossing. And when you drive across the Queen's Ferry Crossing, these pillars are just pretty impressive, aren't they? Sort of embedded into the earth under the fourth. And this stuff is so fundamental. And there are things in here that are absolutely fundamental. That God is the creator. That humanity is special in his creation. That humanity is uniquely created in the image of God created for relationship with God and relationship with one another, created to speak. In the past, I would have said that humanity is given rational ability. I think it's created to speak because God is a speaking God. We are speaking beings and we are created male and female, equal and different. And let's just acknowledge what God has done. He has created humanity Male and female. Equal, 100%, but different. And we'll come to that uh, later on in our series, looking at the way that God uh, expresses in the New Testament in particular the complementary nature between men and women in the household, in our homes, and in the household of God, the church. And humanity, all humanity, all humanity, all humans, and male and female together, created for purpose. And that purpose is be fruitful and multiply. You'll see that in verse 28. God blessed them, chapter 1, verse 28. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it 
and have dominion. Be fruitful and multiply in Genesis 1 does mean the creation of more human beings and therefore implies marriage. But in the New Testament, that is picked up in a different way. It does mean that. And if parents of children, they are to nurture them in the ways of the Lord. But in the New Testament, it means sharing the gospel to create redeemed humanity across the earth. And the second aspect that we are created for is to be responsible for creation under God, to to rule as vice regents, to rule under God, always ruling under God, responsible for the earth. Now, uh, the account of creation, the creation hymn finishes in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. We might say, and again, I've said lots of unhelpful things preaching on Genesis in the past, that humanity is not the pinnacle of creation. Rest is the pinnacle of creation. In other words, that the goal of creation is not the creation of humanity. Humanity stands apart in creation, but the goal of creation is rest. It's perfect relational harmony is the goal of creation. And so the goal of redemption is perfect relational harmony between God and his human creatures. Let's read it, 2, 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, just note the way that that creation hymn concludes. God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. That is the footnote on the Bible's hymn or poem or description of creation. Now what is not overtly spoken about in chapter 1 verse 1 to chapter 2 verse 3? Marriage. Now we're kind of just studying this and and wrestling with this as a team but it's not there. It comes in chapter 2. It comes as a, as a consequential comment in chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. But marriage is not foregrounded in the creation hymn, chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 3. Now, that does not in any way mean that marriage is not a fundamentally important gift to humanity from God. But it's not there in the creation hymn. Now, just note that and think on that. Let's turn to the beginning of the history of humanity, which begins in chapter 2, verse uh, 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 4. Now, last week we looked at uh, chapter 2, verses 4 to 17. And chapter 2, sorry, chapter 2, verses, um, yeah, 4 to 17. And, and that tells the story of how God made uh, man, Adam, that is man, male, uh, the first human being. But the narrative uh, isn't so concerned about that as it is concerned to show us what paradise is. And paradise is not a place fundamentally, Paradise is humanity in perfect relationship with God. And that's what we see in chapter 2, verses 4 to 17. The, 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 the way that um, uh, man, Adam, the first man, was formed out of the dust uh, and God breathed into him the breath of life, the kiss of life, beautiful dignity to his creation of humanity or man. So chapter 2 verses 4 to 17 is all about paradise being humanity in perfect relationship with God. And then the second half of Genesis 2, we move on to it now, 2, 18 to 25, is paradise is humanity in perfect relationship with one another. And I think that's precisely right the heading there. Paradise is humanity in perfect relationship with one another, other humanity. Now, let's look at the detail of the text. 
So where we pick up, verse 18. Um, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit uh, for him. Now all the way through the creation hymn, we heard the repeated phrase, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. So we're in a different genre now, we're in a different atmosphere, we're in the narrative, the history of humanity. Here in chapter 2, verse 18, we have, it is not good, it is not good that the man should be uh, alone. Now, we mustn't at that point make the jump that what Genesis is saying at that point is that it's not good that a man does not live with a woman. That's not what it's saying. It's saying it is not good that the man, the human being, is alone. Yep, because God made humanity in his image, relational, expressive of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy. It's not good that Adam, the one human in paradise, should be alone. That's what it's saying. I will make a helper fit for him. The Hebrew word translated helper is in no sense a diminishing or servile term. And and if we were to make silly comments about that, it's just futile. It's It's not. It's a biblical word with a very clear meaning. The Hebrew word translated helper means corresponding counterpart or complement. One who will supply what is lacking in another, a match. One who, without their existence, humanity would be incomplete to fulfill their mandate. That's what it means. Now, I think there's every evidence to suggest that it means another man as well as another woman. It's it's embracing both of these things. The same word is used often of God to refer to his covenant relationship with his people. God is the helper of Israel, his uh, people. Same word. Why did God decide that it was not good that man, as in Adam, should be alone? Because humanity is made in the image of God. With God's relational heart, we are not meant to be alone. Now, who was it to be? What was it to be? Who can be the companion of man? Chapter 2, verses 19 to 20, Adam is given the responsibility by God of naming the animals. Just read with me, verse 19. Out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit uh, for him. Now, this is not a reverent, a little bit of light relief. I have a thing going with all the little kids on a Sunday, and they all bring their cuddly toys. Uh, Some of them, and particularly a little fox called Foxy, who has got a bigger fox called Big Foxy, um, have been through the washing machine so many times because they've been slavered on so many times, there are no limbs left on uh, Foxy. And uh, this morning, um, Annabelle got left in the kitchen or the loos, whatever, and there was a big search for Annabelle at the door. So I I have lots of um, interaction with the kids with um, their toys. Now, in front of Adam, and we mustn't trivialise this, say, what must have been to Adam, a big grey creature comes along and he said, it's an elephant. I don't know how this happened, we're not told. The point is that um, Adam is given responsibility. Responsibility for the creatures that he needs to care for and tend. But there's a, the text is meant to make us conclude that when the elephant and the giraffe and the, 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 the whatever creature it was was paraded in front of Adam, his response to them was that this is not this is not what I, I, I need to, to function, to live, to, to thrive as a human being on the earth. But for Adam there was not found a helper, a companion, a complement fit for him. 
Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, Adam, and while, the, while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Why a rib? Nobody knows. Let me just read a, an old Puritan commentator. It's a bit archaic. You might think this is unhelpful. I think it's quite... I think it's helpful, it's, it's dignity to it, and it's, it's as helpful as any common I've read. Woman was not made out of man's head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. Is that sentimental? We're talking created paradise. And then God brought the woman to the man, up to now, all Adam has seen were animals. He's named them, but not, none was right for him. But then he saw the woman. His reaction? Now, here's another mistake I've made over the years at a wedding service. I have um, often quoted these words. Not wrong, of course. I've said things like, well, this is what a a groom says when he sees his wife. That's not wrong, though, is it? This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 is not preserved for a wedding service. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 is for all humanity. It's for all humanity. It's for a man to look at a woman and a woman to look at a man and a man to value and embrace and esteem uh, the women folk of the world. It's as generic and it's as big and it's as glorious as that. Humanity is complete. Humanity is functioning as God intended as relational beings when there is more than one human. But it's not just more than one of the same human it is more than one human, and these humans are male and female. And there is a richness, and there is a beauty, and there is a worth, and there is a perfect reflection of the image of God in humanity when that has happened. More than one, and male and female. And out of Adam's mouth, out of his heart, a spontaneous, exultant, joyful reaction, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And that reaction, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, can be applied and should be applied in God's creation to any human being expressive of another human being and of a man to a woman and of a husband to a wife. God created uh, man and woman. Now, just look back at the uh, text, or the handout, sorry. So if we saw last week that paradise is humanity in perfect relationship with God, and now in Genesis 2, 18 to 25, paradise is humanity in perfect relationship with one another. Man is not meant to be alone. Human beings are not meant to be alone. God created human beings, male and female, and there is joy when human beings recognize that and its worth. And then at the very end of that um, description, the word therefore appears. Therefore, a man should leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. One man and one woman in a covenant relationship. Sex or intimacy for marriage. That is God's purpose. That is God's mandate. And that is how human beings came to fill the earth. So marriage is important. Marriage is very important. And marriage in creation is a line that runs all the way through the rest of the Bible. 
But marriage is not presented to us. In creation, in chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, 3, nor in the history of humanity as the goal or aim of us as human beings. It is a good thing. It is a hugely important thing, not least because it is a metaphor that points beyond itself to another man who left his father and was united to his wife, his bride, the church, and they became one flesh as the Holy Spirit of Christ indwelt human beings and animated them to the likeness of God. So even in creation, even in creation, marriage is a metaphor. Marriage is, and God knew in the new creation there would be no marriage between humans because there is one perfect marriage. And we're all here tonight as Christians. I'm jumping ahead to the paradise restored, betrothed to Jesus Christ in marriage with him. Now, let me um, come to a conclusion. Paradise lost. You see why this needs to be preached and spoken in the life of a local church. Because paradise has been lost in every single one of our lives. Paradise has been lost in our relationship with God. Paradise has been lost in our bodies. Paradise has been lost in the world. Paradise has been lost in our work. Paradise has been lost in our relationships with one another. And there is not a single person in this room tonight, and most of us, not all of us, but most of us are Christians, redeemed humanity, there is not a single person who has been unaffected by the brokenness of this fallen world with respect to relationships. Whether it's you, whether it's your parents, your grandparents, whether you're widowed. There's a million applications of that. And I'm not going to run through them all. All I'm going to say is that every single person here has affected by that. And from what I know of our lives, how's about we just go through the rows and we'll explain can't do that can we sometimes I wish we could so that you would know what you know and you would know what they know and you would know what's going on and people it would be healthy wouldn't it that's why speaking the truth in love or praying with some people is so important it's never good to bear a burden alone never bear it with a fellow human being and bear it with the Lord Jesus Paradise lost through a broken relationship with God. It's the broken relationship with God that we read about in Genesis 3 and everything falls apart because that relationship is broken. Now, paradise restored. And uh, this is, I think, wonderful stuff. It's always dangerous when a preacher says that because this kind of, this kind of, they've borne it in their heart all week and you go, well, not that wonderful. It is Paradise is restored through the marriage. Not a marriage, the marriage. Paradise is restored through what marriage and creation was a metaphor that pointed to. Paradise is restored through the marriage between Christ and his church. Is that right? Well, think of the narrative at the end of Genesis 2, the history of humanity. We're not talking... The creation hymn, we're talking about the first chapter in the history of humanity. Therefore, because humanity is in perfect relationship with God and because humanity is in perfect relationship with their fellow humanity, therefore, here's an expression of that, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Why is it that way around? Because Jesus Christ left his father and was united to his bride, the church, and they became one flesh, and they knew knew no shame. Paradise is restored through the marriage between Jesus Christ and his church.
Now, we've um, rightly, I think, tried to find a biblical balance, and we'll see this as we come down the list here to a close, that marriage is not the, the way that Christians are ultimately fulfilled in this life. It's through a relationship with God. But equally, you see how terrible it is when marriage is dismantled. So what's happening in our culture is the dismantling of the pillars, the male and female and, and marriage and what it is and what it's not. Now, what is happening in the culture should perhaps sadden us but not surprise us. We need to be irenic in how we respond to that and gracious because people who come into the life of a living church and hear the gospel will come with lifestyles that are very different because why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? We don't have cultural Christianity. We need to wise up and be smart and and irenic and sensible with that. But if our Christian's paradise is restored through the marriage between Christ and his church, and paradise is restored now, so sitting in this room tonight, this is our status although we still live in a fallen world. And what that means is that who we are fundamentally is not how we feel much of the time. Who we are fundamentally in our inner core being is not how we live much of the time. But this is who you are tonight. This is who we are as a church. If you have trusted Jesus Christ, paradise has been restored through his marriage with you. You are his bride. He is your groom. To him you are betrothed. You will live with him forever in the intimate one flesh union of a new creation. Paradise is restored now. You are in perfect relationship with God. And that does not mean to say it feels like that or it's fitful. But think of, if I were to, you saying, was that really true? But if I was to say to you, are you, can you sing no condemnation? Can you really sing that? Of course you can sing that. So therefore, your relationship, your status, you're righteous. You are restored to paradise. Because paradise is your relationship with God. And secondly, and I think this is true, you are as those who have trusted Jesus in perfect relationship with one another. Is that true? But don't we fall out? Yes. It must be true. Otherwise, Ephesians would not say you are to maintain the unity in the bond of peace, not attain it. We are either saved by grace or not. We are either reconciled to one another. We're either brothers and sisters. We're either in fellowship or not. There's no such thing as being kind of halfway between human friendship and Christian fellowship, you and I as Christians are children of God and brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. We may not feel like it or act like it, but we are. We just are. And humanity in the new covenant community of which we are a part, in perfect relationship with one another, means these things are equally prized. Christian fellowship is way better than friendship because it's eternal and it's humble and it loves and it serves. Singleness is valued by God. Singleness is not only valued by God, it is commended and affirmed for what it can offer people. God calls people to that way of life all of their life so they can play a particular part in the mandate to redeem the world. It is valued, it is valuable, it is rich, it is esteemed by God. It is not second best for there is only singleness, humanly speaking, in the new creation. And equally, marriage is valued. And all of this is about a balance and an equilibrium. We're not saying at all tonight that marriage is not valued. 
And marriage in the New Covenant community is the same as marriage in creation. It is between a man and a woman for life in a covenant relationship. Sex, intimacy is for marriage. Sacred to that. Now, what does this look like in our society? Well, it looks, it looks like what a local church is. It looks like us tonight. A household of God where everyone belongs. Where we are bonded in real Christian fellowship. When we just do not make do with the answer fine. Or we do not make do with trivial or surface level conversations. You can't have deep conversations right across a large body of people. But if you can't have them somewhere, it's not a real church. It's not a church. It's not the household of of, of God, Christian fellowship is a rich thing. Christian fellowship is when people mess up. As I've done this week with some of you, they say sorry and they repent of it and their fellowship is restored because our job is to maintain it, not attain it. You could never do that if you had to attain it. You would fracture into a thousand pieces. And in a church family like Chalmers, singleness is valued and must be valued. So here's a, a conversation. T- tell me about yourself. Are you married? Yes, I am. And do you have children? Oh, yes, I do. And, and suddenly the conversation is an ease and a flow to it. What do you do? And you tell them the job you do. What about the answer to the question, are you married? No, I'm single. We should not be lost for words. We should embrace these people and love them and affirm them and value them and not make them feel that in some way in the Christian life they have not arrived. And the only place that can happen is in the church. For people who are not married and people who have lost their spouses, as many people have. And I think we could make big strides in simple ways when we start to talk and think like that. And to those of us who are single, and that's the right thing to say. So, you know, the preacher's dilemma, if they are married when they preach, what a lot of nonsense that is. We are an us. We are a we. We are a church family. To those of us here who are single, we love and value and are part of those who are married within the church life. The local church, the household of God where everyone belongs. Let me expand the list. When there are people who are married and they cannot have children, that is a different thing. Childlessness is not affirmed. Childlessness is not a a way of life that is commended as good by God. Childlessness is a, is a factor of living in a broken and in a fallen world. And to those in our church family who are childless, we don't want them not to go to a service where there are children. We don't want them to hang back and stay away. We want them to be embraced and loved and spoken to. And if you think a conversation means you're putting your foot in it. Just put your redeemed, sanctified foot in it and say, look, I love you. And we love you in this church. And you belong. And we can talk about this. Isn't that right? And people who are attracted to those of the same sex as folks are. Do they belong? Yes, they belong. And and you say that with full confidence in the Bible and in the grace of God. And do you say at the same time that sex is for marriage? Yes, you do. Can you reconcile these things in the household of God? Can you reconcile them with the Holy Spirit living in you? Yes. 
it just suddenly dawned on me that <laughs> with all of our warts and all the rest of it, the local church, the household of God on the earth is different from anything else in the world. Because it values in everyone and everyone belongs, but it doesn't affirm everything. It's unique. And paradise restored, not yet, is that we one day will no longer live in a fallen world. And then we will be in perfect relationship with God and with one another. And there will be no human marriage. There will be no human marriage. Anyway, I hope all that helps us. There's a lot of work to do, and a lot of it is conversations and loving each other and putting our big sanctified feet in it. Let's not be afraid to do that. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the richness of your word and its dignity and its worth and its care of us. Lord, we want to be a church family where everyone belongs. And truth to be told, not everyone who is here does feel they belong. And if that's because of singleness and marriage, help us, Lord, to repent of that and put it right. If it's because of having children and not having children, that is a different thing and it's deeply, deeply painful, but surely it is something that as a church we should embrace and speak about and do so in a dignified and a careful and a thoughtful and in a loving way. We pray that folks who are single for a range of reasons, some perhaps because of their attraction to people of the the same sex, would feel so much that they belong within this household of God that is this little local church. Help us to relish our relationship with you. Help us to relish one another. And we come back in our prayer to the purpose of this book. When we do these things, will the purpose of Genesis not really kick in and be realized in our lives. To give us confidence as a local church journeying through this world. That you are saving us. And you are bringing us home to a new creation. And all this we pray in the sweet name of Jesus. To whom we are all married. And for his sake.